This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, Equity Mates, we shall fight in the markets, we shall fight in the boardrooms, we shall never surrender. For in this podcast, we aim to inspire and educate. Never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small. As always, I'm joined by my equity buddies, Ren. Who am I? Uh, Bryce, you are Winston Churchill. Nailed it. Yeah. That was actually a listener request. Oh, there you go. So if you have a request that you'd like to uh, get fed through chat GPT, persona that you'd like me to try in the intro, send it through. Ask at equitymates.com. Well, Bryce, uh, a fitting introduction today because we do need a wartime leader for the topic that we're, we're talking about today. We're talking all things Australian property, yes. which is a constant battle. It is a constant battle. We have Sam Gordon joining us, who is the founder of Australian Property Scout. They are a buyer's agent for investment properties. Now, we've had Sam on the show before. If you haven't listened to the episode, go and listen to it. It was all about rent vesting. Got us both very excited about the concept of rent vesting. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And uh, it got great feedback from from you guys, the community. So he's back. And this time we are, we're going to unpack what is causing the current shortage of housing here in Australia and the subsequent crisis, so to speak. Yeah, I think for people who haven't been paying super close attention to the housing market, we had 12 interest rate rises in 13 months. And as basic economic theory would tell you, then house prices fell as a result. And uh, I think the average, according to CoreLogic, was almost 10% fall. But since then, we Interest rates have stayed steady except for a recent rise on Melbourne Cup Day, but house prices have come all the way back and they're almost at record highs again. So it's a it's a strange market. For half of Australia, it's an incredibly frustrating market as they try and get in the property market. For the other half of Australia, it's a market that they love because they own a house. But for all of Australia, it's a topic of constant fascination and attention. Mm. We're not experts in property, but Sam is. And so uh, he's the person that we turn to, to try and understand what's going on. Yeah. Now a reminder that while we are licensed, any information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general. 
So let's bring in Sam. He's the founder of Australian Property Scout. He also has a podcast if you're interested in going deep on uh, property investing. It's called Scouting Australia Podcast. So check that out. We'll have links in the show notes, but let's crack on. Well, Sam, welcome back to Equity Mates. Bryce, Alec, boys, good to be back. Yes, uh, we really enjoyed the last uh, conversation we, ha- we had with you all around investing in property. And today we're going to be discussing what is causing the housing shortage slash crisis here in Australia. Yeah, 100%. Now, if you haven't listened to our previous episode with Sam, firstly, we would uh, recommend that you go and do that. But for those that are just tuning in for the first time, Sam, can you just just give us a a little bit of a background on your story and also uh, founding Australian Property Scout? Yeah, 100%. So um, I guess within my story, uh, I bought my first property at 19, um, pretty much came from just about nothing, like very middle-class family. Took my time kind of working up. I'm a a high school dropout. Um, Pretty much just like worked, worked kind of like, and, and knew that property was the vehicle I wanted to eventually get into to, to help myself build wealth. I uh, bought my first property at 19. Essentially, it's been almost 15 years now of, of, of investing nonstop. And yeah, essentially got bitten by the bug very, very early on. Fast forward to these days, got a 30 mil plus portfolio, 50 plus property portfolio. And um, and yeah, man, just like absolutely live and breathe the investing side. Um, what really spawned Australian Property Scout and where this was built from um, really came from uh, probably in my mid 20s, I was burnt by another buyer's agent back in the day as well. Um, and it was when I wasn't making very much money. So $10,000 was a lot of money to me back in the day. And yeah, got burnt by, by that BA at that time, kind of went back out there and then really aggressively invested kind of with a bit of fuel in the belly after it <laughs> happening. And, uh, and then after a couple of years, had essentially like retired myself or, or replaced enough of my income that I could go traveling for a while. Um, I went traveling for around about 12 months and then came back and was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, uh, and then, yeah, I was, I was tossing up, like going out and getting my builder's license and developing my own projects. But I thought, nah, I'll, I'll give this a go for a year. Uh, and then, yeah, fast forward, we're pretty much five years in, in now of, of uh, Australian Property Scout and, and loving it. So Awesome. Awesome. Great and, story. Uh, Property Scout's mission is to retire 500 people by 2030. That's right. How many people? What's your tally? Where, where are you at? <laughs> so, so the way this works is funny because so many people ask me that question, right? But realistically, like property, it's not a, it's not a game that you retire in like a couple of years, mm-hmm. right? So like it's a compounding effect and, and it's kind of we always work through continual accumulation with our clients and, and it takes time to obviously build out the portfolio initially um, and then start building in some cash flow deals as well. So as of right now, I think we're, we're literally, you'd be able to count it on one yeah, hand, yeah, yeah. but the amount of people that are probably five or six properties into maybe a, a eight, 10, 12 portfolio strategy, like a lot of people are halfway there and we, we're, we've still got a fair bit of time to hit that 2030 yeah. as well. So we were, talk, we were talking about it uh, before um, and it's like the financial independence retire early movement is really focused on the stock market and they're trying to build wealth, uh, you know, through like VDHG and those sort of ETFs. Yeah. And it's a game of like trying to get like $2 million or a million and a half in yep. the stock market and then get dividends where it's a bit different when it's property. It's about getting like positively geared cash flowing assets and yeah. having enough of those assets to... It's, it's a mix too because like the way that I like to invest, realistically, a lot of people try and talk about like retiring in like 20 or 30 years in property. And... I think that's longer than is necessary. I think realistically you can do it depending on what you're starting from and your income and everything and your um, risk you know, tolerance and what you're willing to do as well. Even buying two properties a year, 
for five years, you've got a 10 property portfolio. You let that compound for the next five years, you're 10 years in, you sell, let's say five of those were high cash flow and five of those were, were growth assets. You sell off your five growth assets, you pay out your five cash flow deals. So you've got a high net return from those five deals. That's a very like simple and methodical way of, of investing and not a crazy, that's not going crazy. That's literally one every six months to a year sort of thing. <laughs> See, okay. So, yeah. See, does that seem crazy? crazy? <laughs> it, look, right now to me, it seems crazy. Okay, but, okay. you know, Bryce and I have just taken our first step yes. on the property ladder. So yeah, maybe in hindsight, we'll, we'll look back and say uh, I think it's worth pointing out, though, that, you know, when you are looking at the investment side of things, yes. you know, you're not looking at the owner-occupied where yeah. we're looking at houses that are are in that unaffordable bracket. Because yeah. if you're looking at just the numbers, you might be looking at areas that we would never live. Well, I think the- 100%, man. The, yeah. the most recent CoreLogic data had Sydney's median price mm. at a scratch over a million. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like it's almost like, 1.2, I think. Yeah, yeah it's like, pretty big. I don't think when you're talking about buying two houses a year <laughs> yeah, for no, five no. years, you're not talking about buying no. million dollar places in Sydney. No, yeah, and it's yeah. exactly it's kind of a point that you would make there around like like a lot of people would kind of think that initially, right? And but it's counter cyclical thinking, so it's got, it's think it's it's yeah changing that perspective and the persona you know perception of what you need to be buying um, and targeting especially areas that haven't gone through significant cycles in the last ten years. So it's kind of counter cyclically investing out there in the market, and when you do that, you're buying at much lower price points, but positioning yourself for really good growth as well. So definitely not talking about you know, two a year at a couple of mil. Yeah, we're yeah, definitely yeah. not about, you know, renting for nothing. We're not, we're not talking about that sort of stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we want to talk about the housing market today yes. because, um, you know, we have lived through, we lived through 12 interest rate rises in 13 months. Yep. We've just seen another interest rate rise uh, on Melbourne Cup Day. Yes. But if we're not back at all-time highs, we're very close to all-time highs. Yeah. So I think the, the first question is, uh, do interest rates work? <laughs> do they work? Yeah. Okay, so we're in a very unique position in the market. Yes, they work to an extent, right? Like the one thing I'd say is, can you imagine where the market would be if they hadn't done them? Like if it's done a dampener as it is with, we're up like almost four and a half percent in in 18 month window of rate rises. Can you imagine where the market would be if they hadn't brought that in? Because it's pulled a lot of people out of the market. But I think that's what we wanted to, we're going to really unpack today as well where rate rises aren't the, the be all end all, you know, and, and the big game changing market mover. Yes, they can, they will have an influence on the market, but everyone's got to remember it. The RBA has only got one blunt instrument to have a crack at curbing the market. But when you've got inflation doing its thing, you've got population growth doing its thing, you've got builders going under, you've got no stock, you know, so massive supply deficits and stock deficits. Like it's a, yeah, man, rate rises are only one piece in the, in the bigger puzzle. So, mm. so let's use that as, uh, as the stepping stone. You mentioned a number of factors there. Yes. For those sitting at home wondering about the question, do rate rises work, interest yeah. rates work, and why <laughs> isn't the property market doing what it, you would expect it to do? What are some of the most important factors that are weighing on the housing market at the moment. Yeah, so if we look at, there was data that came out actually in March. So we haven't had any renewed data since March, but in March um, 2023, um, the ABS reported there was a 454,000 uh, increase in population just from overseas migration. Throw on it, and there's another 110,000. So we're talking about a population increase of over 550,000 in one year. We've never done anywhere near that before. I don't even think we've ever done half of that before, right? Mm. So when we push that into perspective, that's a huge increase in, in population in one year. But then you throw on top of it how tight that stock level, those stock levels are at the moment. And the stock levels, if you rewind all the way back to the start of 2020, um, when COVID first kicked off, what happened was 
in the marketplace, there was uh, when, when COVID first kicked in, right? Everyone came out and said, well, not everyone, but there was a few people that came out and said, you know, 20, 30, 40% price um, drops were going to be coming and the market was going to crash and all the rest of it. You remember these, these conversations? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually picked up a really cheap rental at that time there because you go. rentals are mm. crashing. Yeah, yeah, man. It was yeah. a crazy time, right? And I remember, because I remember in, we were very early, we were, I think we were 12, going into our second year of, of business. I think we we're in just in the second year of business. Everything went dead. And I, I had this prediction that um, really what was going to happen happen that I believe was going to happen was there was two 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 parts two parties in the market right there was those who needed to sell and those who didn't and those who needed to sell took a haircut and they sold because there weren't that many people around buying so it was very discounted property everywhere but the people who didn't need to sell and financially reasonably stable they pulled their properties back off the market they created this massive stock shortage there was nothing on the market and then in 3 6 months no one was putting anything on because there was so much like uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, people don't buy and people don't, or not so much people don't buy, people don't sell. Like they kind of, everyone was kind of sitting on the sidelines, but then people weren't also weren't able to travel. So then all of a sudden you got all these people with extra money in their pockets. Things are still, like there were a lot of businesses that actually started thriving during that time as well. So some things suffered, but some things thrived. And it kind of went through this really weird period where stock never fully picked up and it definitely didn't pick up enough to, to match demand. And that's where we saw so much price growth. Like if you look at Sydney and Melbourne never had a right to, to have another boom and have another run. And yet some areas in Sydney saw another, you know, 60, 80% growth in those two years of COVID. But then you look at the regional locations, you look at Brisbane, went crazy, Southeast Queensland went crazy because a lot of people were getting out of Sydney and Melbourne at that time. I was one of them, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people that did the same thing. Um, the, man, the regions also went crazy. Yeah, like yeah. Orgo, where Bryce is from yeah. orange well like, i'm from yeah. the highlands man and yeah. like properties that that i bought um in in early 20 teens they all doubled in the sydney boom and then in the covid boom because it was the next council outside of sydney where there was no lockdowns it doubled again because yeah. everyone just flooded there. Yeah. rents went crazy prices went crazy mm. and so like i think the, the the point i'm getting at here is the stock was at a, was at an all-time low and there was a little blip in 2022 where stock did pick up a little bit in some of these areas, but really we've been at this stock deficit now really since kind of 2020. Then you throw on like the 12 months up until March where we've had this huge population surge because they've been getting people in as, as quickly as possible. But then even since then, they've been ramping it up. The government's been ramping up to try and get as many skilled migrants into the country as possible to, you know, there's been a shortage of almost all industries, even hospitality and, but especially trades. Like that's why build prices went so crazy. It was such a labor shortage. Um, a lot of people out there in the economy uh, were bringing retirement plans forward. So there's a huge exodus out of the workforce during COVID, this, this huge um, trade shortage, labor shortage and everything, right? So that's one of the big reasons build prices then went crazy as well. It's just this, this huge kind of cumulative effect as, mm. As to, mm-hmm. as to what's really held the floor under the market because there's been no stock, there's been no supply, but there's been this huge influx of new people coming into the market as well, into Australia. Mm. Yeah, so uh, the I think the numbers, so you said what, 400, 450,000 people yep. and Australia built about 180,000 houses, <laughs> which is close to a record in terms of the amount that we've yep. built in a year. Yeah, but still so, so almost like, like just, yeah. a third of what we need, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And the government, what, they want to build 1.2 million homes in the next five or six years, yep. which would be like a record every year. But we, the thing is, we can't do it. We mm. don't have the trade and we don't have the, the materials. Material shortage was the other massive one that we, because we, we develop a little bit as well. And we were battling that during COVID of just like builders not having stock, not having materials, yeah. you know. To compound that, the I guess this, the second factor was that a lot of builders actually went out of business yes. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, huge amount. A friend of ours, he was halfway through a renovation and the builder just went bust. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Tell us a bit more about what's been going on there. Yeah, so the, the builder 
build industry was an extremely tricky game again during COVID. And, and like for the last three years, the, the build price has been going crazy. So like what you could build a, um, a standard four by two, you know, four bedroom, two bathroom, double garage home a few years ago might've been 250, 300 grand. That's now like 450, 500,000 for like a specky sort of style build. So we're up like 70, 80% on build prices in that time frame. Now, what, what happened during that period, right, is, and a lot of people were like, you know, calling for builders' heads because they were doing these huge um, price increases to their contracts. But what they were doing is they were trying to forecast where they thought build prices were going to go. The issue was by the time they finally came through to being built, the price they could actually get the materials for had again skyrocketed plus the labor costs. You know, I remember in Perth, brickies like tripled their prices overnight because they knew how much they needed because in, in Perth, they build almost everything double brick. So they, they put their prices through the roof and the, the builders had to pay it or they couldn't complete projects. So what was happening was by the time they finally start a build materials and trade prices had increased so much that it actually wasn't viable to do the build so they would they would either offer the deposit back i can't build it they would ask them to come up to the contract price that would allow them to actually complete the build and not go under or they'd fold and so a lot of builders folded because people wouldn't come up and it's a really tricky thing because for the for the consumer you might be sitting there going well this builder's asking me for an extra 50 grand but the builder's sitting there going if i don't get the extra 50 grand you're not gonna house we'll go under yeah, <laughs> yeah. like i can't complete yeah, I can't afford it. and when they like there's a lot of like mid, mid-tier builders that might have 50 builds on the go they might build 200 a year or something that's that sends them under you know yeah. stuff like that so it was it was a crazy period where we just saw this this massive and it has slowed down a lot that that price increase i think the labor the labor has has eased off a little bit those those trade you know price increases and everything as well but man it was just a, yeah it was a wild wild period there for sure and so the flow of that is that you we need the builders for more stock and if more and more are going under it's another reason why it, it just you could argue that house prices are supported. <laughs> yeah. One of the other crazy things, right, is that's the, one of the huge reasons for the, the immigration driving super high population growth is getting skilled migrants into the country. The one issue with that is they also need housing. Mm. So what happens when people first move into 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 the country is they can't buy straight away. It was like we were chatting about this off air is they, they don't come in super wealthy. Maybe it's 1% or half a percent of people could afford to maybe buy. So what happens is that then they come in and they put huge pressure on the rental market. And so that's why we've seen vacancy rates come down so much. And probably almost everyone we know would have felt rental price increase, whether you're as an investor putting your rents up um, because that's where the market now is. And because your interest rates have gone up so much, you've got to put it up to be able to hold that that investment as well. Or you're the, the average consumer and renter out there and you're having to pay that extra in the from, from that rental perspective as well. So it's been a wild little window of just watching all this stuff like know, build and build. And We've spoken a bit about uh, prices, rental story, because it, I think it really uh, encapsulates where at least Sydney is, but you were paying a price you got a 25 percent rent increase and then as you told them you were moving out they were going to increase it again about 30 percent or something wow if not more 750 to 950 oh yeah, that's yeah. So and i started at 560 how long ago was that at 560 COVID, i got the depths of covid no way yeah it was up for 850 and i yep. said 560 they said D- done <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that negotiating. Yeah. You want a job? <laughs> yeah. Five sixty. So five sixty to nine. And then they went five sixty to six ten, and then uh, six months ago, or about about that, they went six ten to seven fifty. Yeah. And now I told them we're moving out, and we had some mates who'd like to move in. They yeah. said, "Yeah, sweet. Owner wants nine fifty wow. for a, for a one point five beddy." It's wow! Ridiculous. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. Hey, it's <laughs> well, crazy, man. It's yeah. just like come on. And then the thing is, we went back to the agent, and usually where you could say, "Oh, you know, they'll move in straight away, yeah. or whatever, whatever." Can we? You know, no, I didn't do the negotiating for them, but they're like, um, 
these are what we can offer if we can get the price down to even 850. Yeah. And the agent's just like, nah. guys, yeah. we're going to have people out the door. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Like, so one, one thing with that, I'll just, I'll just, if you don't mind, is, is one of the huge things we're seeing is typically your big cities are where your migrants always come to initially, yeah. right? So, so much of it because they obviously know those places firstly, so they'll come and they'll start here. But what we're actually seeing is actually a huge amount of interstate migration of Aussies moving away from the big cities because they can't actually afford it anymore because exactly that example you're giving there, $400 a week rent increases in a, you know in a three-year window. So, what we're seeing is a lot of people actually moving to the smaller states as well, um, especially to the capital cities. It's, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a max exodus from a interstate migration perspective as well, which has been very very interesting to see. Mm. Mm. So Sam, if if we can sort of tie uh, all of these factors together, uh, there's a shortage of housing and yes. we need more housing. But to build more housing, we don't have the labourers, and so we uh, we've got seen massive net migration. But people coming to this country need housing. Yes. And that then just, it's like a self-reinforcing cycle that seems to just add pressure. And so I guess the question and what we want to talk to you about is what next and and where does this go? So we're going to put that question to you after the break. Welcome back to Equity Mates. We're talking to Sam Gordon, the founder of Australian Property Scout, the co-host of the Scouting Australia podcast, and we're talking. Well, we're talking all things property. <laughs> we are, mate. And you know, we've uh, we've just seen what's gone on the past year. Interest rates have gone up massively, but and the Australian housing market did dip a little bit. I think it was down maybe ten percent, but uh, it's it's come back. It's near all time highs. Uh, we spoke about some of the factors driving that, the shortage of housing, the net overseas migration uh, and builders and going bankrupt. I guess the question is what next? So uh, in our, when we were going back and forth before the interview, I think you, you said we're going to see markets push into higher than ever before seen growth rates mm. and for extended periods of time. Yes. For half of Australia... <laughs> For half of Australia that don't own houses, yes. that's terrible news. Yeah. And for the half of Australians that do own houses, it's music to their ears. Yeah. So to flesh that out a bit, tell us what you think is going to happen and just how big it might be. Yeah, man. So I think it's also uh, the important thing to note, it's always relative to the area, right? So like, I don't think this is going to be Australia-wide. So in COVID, we obviously saw like a really big nationwide boom where almost everywhere it rose to an extent. Obviously, location, again, dependent um, on the supply and demand on where it was, dependent how big it went, how big a boom it did have. Um, but what I think we're going to see is in almost all areas, there's going to be another level of price growth, even in my opinion, like unaffordable markets like Sydney. Um, that is going to be pushed from a few things obviously supply is still quite tight you've still got that huge strong um, migration coming into the country as well but as we were chatting about before we're seeing those big rental increases so you're going to see a lot of renters like you boys go out there and, and buy primary residences if they can afford to do it because the rents are going up so much as well so and that rental growth more than likely isn't going to slow because we've got so much coming in there's still going to be so much pressure on that market if there isn't enough stock and it keeps building up the rents are just going to keep rising as well now I think that's going to hold a lot of those markets. And again, my, my opinion are a little bit unaffordable. I think it's going to hold a nice floor under the market to probably give them a little bit of raise, right? But what I think we're going to see is a lot of these other capital cities that have actually... It's funny because 
we, we kind of look at Sydney, which dipped in 22 and then has kind of rebounded kind of to the same levels it was at the, at the back end of COVID. But then there's a lot of other locations out there in smaller cities, um, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, they've all done, they're all doing between 20, 25% growth a year at mm. the moment for the last two years. Interest rates have done four and a half percent increases in 18 months and yet they've still outperformed and done these massive growth runs and so have a, a fair few regional locations as well. And so what we're really seeing out there when we dive in and we do all this research internally is if those areas have performed to this extent, right? And supply isn't being solved anytime soon. They can't build enough houses. There isn't enough land coming through. It's too much red tape. It takes too long to get it through. Developers also aren't getting the sale prices they need at the moment and the build costs are too high. So it doesn't make sense for them to develop. So they're shelving product projects, right? Um, but then you've also got this huge continued pressure on the market from the amount of people coming in and then renting as well, then pushing more and more people into the sales market and buying. I think from all these sorts of perspectives in here, we're going to see continued house price growth like and quite a strong period for the next two to three years as a minimum, in my opinion, especially in the smaller capitals, but a lot of strong regionals that have really good, solid, booming economies. Because what you're going to find is a lot of migrants might come into the big cities and go, have a crack at it for six, 12 months and go, this is an unaffordable place yeah. to live. Where are some other job opportunities that I can go and maybe try and set some roots with the family and actually afford to live? Mm. And so I think we're going to see more of that. That'll be the next two to three years, right? What I think is going to extend this beyond the norm is then after two to three years, what typically happens with a migrant? They get permanent residency and they try and buy their piece of Australia as well. So then you're going to find that in, because like, they're, they're talking about driving this, this huge immigration, this population growth for the next four to five years, because they're really trying to keep the economy strong at the same time as trying to drive a bit of unemployment and stuff to try and balance out this inflationary period, right? The high inflationary period we're in. So pushing for that long, then when those people two to three years in after moving in, then they're trying to then buy their own homes as well. It's going to put additional pressure on the sales market and more and more people, if you're literally talking like half a million a year or more, they're trying to push for record years every year in terms of that. They're never going to keep up with it. The, the, the supply level of property is actually never going to come through to keep up with it. So the more and more we dissected this and dug deeper and deeper, it's just like, this isn't going to solve itself anytime soon. They can't, they can't build enough homes. The only way to really solve this is to cut immigration, which they're not going to do because they need the trade. Yeah, that, that's something that I've been thinking about this week though because the crazy. RBA, the RBA <laughs> I think for the first time, well, at least as, as far as I'm aware, yep. publicly put pressure on the government. Well, not pressure, but publicly said, you know, your immigration policy is really cooking inflation right yes. now. Like you're letting far too many people in. Yeah. And it's just like our, the what we can do with our interest rates is only one thing. Mm. But there are many other things that the government can do to pull pull back on on uh, inflation and, yep. and obviously a lot of the impact of what that is doing to rentals and those sorts yeah. of things. So all you need is the government to say, you know what, we, we do desperately need to do something about this. We're going to halve in our immigration yeah. for three years but like yeah but then that affects other I know I know I know and, and so, the economy right yeah. which they're trying to keep up so but it's it's funny because there's like two competing things like the, the RBA wants the economy to chill out yeah. like we you you 
you want to slow everything down so that in- inflation falls, but the government's like, to your point, like has policies that count that are counterintuitive mm. to that. I mean, there, there so, are more extreme levers the government could pull, like, I don't know. Rental ban, caps. Ban Airbnbs. <laughs> yeah, rental caps, not great. Well, though. the issue with rental caps is they can't keep jacking, because they did that in Victoria, right? But the issue with like rental caps is they can't keep jacking interest rates and then expect investors to be able to hold rental caps yeah. because like at the end of the day, they're still going to be able to survive from that perspective. So then you're making it super unaffordable for them. Or like a lot of those guys would sell out because like, well, I can't actually afford to hold this property mm-hmm. with interest rates still climbing, but I can't increase my rental. So yeah. rental caps definitely isn't the solution. I, I know what you're saying with a few of these other points as well, but it's just like, this is where it's vicious, right? It's a vicious cycle and, and it literally will just keep moving like that. The only way really is is bringing that that immigration level down, but I just don't see it. I don't think it's going to happen. They keep pushing it. They keep talking about how hard they're going to push it. Um, but I, I think ultimately they're trying. They're pushing that so hard, in my opinion, because they're tr- they're trying to obviously level off, especially where labor prices got to as well. So they're trying to level that and curb that off as well. And, and they're trying to drive higher unemployment because that, that's what um, obviously drives that. If there's not as many people or there's more people looking for it, obviously people can lower their rates as to what they get paid as well. <laughs> or, or it just gets to a point where in, you know, probably markets more like Sydney and well, probably more Sydney and Melbourne, not so much the regionals and whatnot, where, where it just becomes so much of a proportion of your take-home pay yeah. that you've, you just kill the demand. Like people just literally like... Mm. Yeah, but like rent is becoming such a big portion of... Like this is just becoming like a... But like surely mathematically... Like the demand for housing is inelastic. In like either form, owning or renting, like there's no alternative. But but like mathematically, surely there has to be at some point. Like you're not going to pay 100% of your take home into housing. Well, that's why there is a cap though. There are caps and that's set by APRA, which is the Australian Prudential Regulating Authority. Glad I got that one right. But what they do is because they're kind of that other governing body of debt in the country, right? So like they look at it and go, okay, how do we curb these things as well? So they bring in different things. Um, Mainly, it's mainly around investors. So it's it's different things to curb investor. And and that's what slowed Sydney in 2015, 16, 17. That's how they, they pulled Sydney back from it's crazy run but they they have their caps in terms of what you can so um regulatory like lending right so like what's a responsible way of lending they have their caps on income to uh, income to to debt ratios as well um dti's and whatnot too and and a lot of lenders have to stay within that dti policy but the issue is man like when you've got that fuel in the fire from the rental perspective and more and more people are trying to jump in it's just yeah it just keeps throwing that fuel in the fire yeah because like i hear this conversation and like my and this is you're not going to love what i say Go next for it, man. So good. <laughs> like the first thing i say is like the the treatment of uh housing as a financial asset yep. is p- part of the problem and you know maybe it's about tax treatment maybe it's about limiting negative gearing to like one or two properties mm. maybe there's there's things you can do there but like this isn't a house price conversation. This is now like a ha- housing availability conversation. Yeah, that is and true. It's, and it's not like oh, the challenge is there's renters who want to buy and can't get their first home. The challenge is now people can't get rentals rental. or housing. So it's like all of the financialization of housing conversation is kind of like moot to actually solve this problem which is there's not enough roofs what they need yeah. to do but really the, the better incentive for that would be to create schemes for affordable housing 
So, and, but who's going to build them? That's the that's the challenge. But man, there, there are builders. That, so I'm talking about even just things like granny flats and things like this, right? Like additional yeah, rentals yeah, from that yeah. perspective. How, how, how do we cut the red tape so someone can build a 200 you know person a 200 room tower or something like that in high density areas mm. like Sydney? The, Different things like that. the red tape is what really slows it down. The the granny flat thing was there's been a few reports about that recently. They yeah. reckon it's like 500,000 houses or roofs could be built. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. The other interesting one was office buildings. There oh, was yeah. a, a oh. building in Melbourne that got converted from an office building to residential yeah. like that's an interesting 100% thing. man looking for things like that there, there are alternative solutions that fix especially from the rental perspective yeah. as well but like the fact that <clears throat> these are the conversations we're having <laughs> it shows how deep the problem is but you know what the other crazy thing is mate we're one year into a four to five year aggressive immigration policy mm. so if we're mm. one year into it where are we going to be in three five years like yeah. it's just going to be crazy yeah um, but then yeah the one interest rates going to be in three to five years then. this is one thing i was going to say so that's that's <laughs> when we talk about like where does this thing go because like where we're looking at it the current factors push it into a boom right push a lot of areas into proper boom and and a lot of areas are already in it like you start talking 20 25 30 percent if you said that to an investor 10 years ago you can get that in terms of, mate they they would they would light up yeah, like that's yeah, unbelievable yeah. from a property perspective because you're leveraging into it and then you're getting that growth on top compounding as well right but then you look at that and all the factors in play right now are creating a boom and when we're when we pull this whole thing apart it's funny that you mentioned where interest rates going to be because are you thinking up or down Definitely. wow when in what time period let's say two years well, I mean, the fact that I'm highly leveraged, I would hope no, that no, it's no. not forget, up. Forget what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I've changed my tune a bit. I reckon there's a chance that uh, there might be a chance that they're up. That they're up. I reckon. Yeah. I think I just... I, yeah. I, I think like if if inflation is going to be stubbornly high because of factors outside the RBA's mm. control, uh, cost of housing and cost of fuel, yeah. directionally, it can only go one way. Mm. Like... Unless, unless we just change how we calculate inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, we were talking about this off air. It's obviously one of the big things is rent coming into the equation. But throwing rent into the equation of inflation is a pretty... Like it, it's obviously when it changes, as it is increasing, it's a crazy influence on the on the inflationary number mm-hmm. as well. So, What do you think? I, I, I don't think... A lot of people were saying, oh, they think next year it's going to come back. A lot of like property economists. Are, I, I don't think it's going to come back next year. I think you're right in terms of the inflation is, is too stubbornly high at the moment. But I, I do think... I do personally believe in 2025, it's potentially, we're potentially going to see it start coming back a bit. If they push the unemployment rate up, which I think will, will come about, that, that's essentially why they're driving this migration so hard. They're trying to create additional labor to try and drop those, those pricing. And if they drive that unemployment rate up, then that's when I think, because if people start struggling a little bit, that's when they'll start clipping it back a bit. You can't go from, from 2% interest rates to 6.5% interest rates, right? And then think people are going to be able to afford it and not send a large portion of the country into into bankruptcy, which would happen if they keep going higher and then leave it super high because it's not it's unaffordable, you know. Because the buffer rates that they had in, even though they were high, they were three percent. So if you if you ran your servicing at, if you were borrowing at two and then they run it at five, and all of a sudden we're at six and a half going on seven, they can't then go keep running it higher and higher because you literally will send a huge portion of people who bought in the last couple of years under. So I think that with what they're pushing on there. And this is where we're looking at this thing and going, all right, the, the first three factors of supply, build's not coming through. So we've got this huge supply deficit. Um, there's not enough stock and we get this huge population increase. That's going to push into boom. Then if in two to three years, a lot of these migrants, even a, a lot of them still coming in, these skilled migrants coming in, they're still putting the pressure on the rental market. But then we're seeing the early migrants that came in then transitioning into purchasing. 
that's going to put the additional pressure on. But then if interest rates start coming back as well, I think it's just going to be Yeah, if wild. interest rates go down, see you later. It's going to be crazy. Which is why, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah I, don't, I don't, maybe if the economy really starts to struggle, but yeah. I think like this level of population growth, you would expect yeah. the economy to do pretty well on the mm. whole. And I just don't really see there would be a burning platform for them to cut interest rates. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, that's just my view. Like, mm. um, but look, we don't know. We're all just forecasting. We are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you <laughs> but can even look. If you, you look at those first four factors, even if you leave yeah, the interest rates yeah, out yeah, of the yeah, equation, yeah. those four, first four factors, mate, we're in for a pretty crazy next, in my opinion, next three to five years yeah. in the Australian market. So I guess the, the, the question is around, you know, let's say, let's say this thesis is right. It plays out. Like what starts to slow it? What ends the boom? Well, obviously, <laughs> if migrations was making it go crazy, mm. and they're pulling and they're pulling that back to it. That that starts to be curbed to an extent, but then affordable housing starts coming back in as well. So we already saw. Obviously, this is coming out as a pretty big thing at the moment. Rental crisis. I called this a couple of years ago. That like South Australia had to change their policy with granny flats because it was just it was wild. That it's one of the tightest rental markets in the country. Huge blocks all over the city, and they're very pro infill state. But then they, they didn't allow grannies to be rented separately. Like you couldn't build oh. them and rent them separately. Melbourne's the same. ACT's the same as well. And our Northern Territory's the same. But for South Australia, it was crazy because the market was so tight. And then um, the government just came out, it was a, about a month ago now, and said, we overrule all councils. As long as it's complying development, you can build them and rent them separately. Oh, wow. Okay. And, so, and then Victoria uh, last month as well, I think it was Dan Andrews' last thing before he, <laughs> before he left, yeah. he said... This is the thing. Everyone got so excited about it. Oh, you can get granny flats through um, no problems now as long as it's complying development. But they didn't change the actual leasing laws. So you still can't rent them separately to a family member. So it still has to be for a family member. Uh, but that right. will probably change very soon as well. And so these are the ways, because there are, even in, in, in Melbourne um, and South Australia as well, there's a lot of people that have built these things but keep them for family members. But if we can change those and start allowing them to be leased, that's going to change the game from that perspective as well. But I think driving these driving these affordable housing projects, how do we cut... Like if they want to build 1.2 million homes, maybe don't look at it as like on their own title, maybe like secondary dwellings and things, extra roofs, second, mm. um, second income streams as well, which will help people hold during higher interest rates, but then create those more rentals to help ease the pressure on that as well. They need to cut red tape, but from a development perspective, if they're, th- if they're not going to ease... Um, immigration they need to they need to ease that red tape that's all around developing as well Mm. yeah so really to sum that up it's a supply and demand question like right now this boom is being driven by uh extra normal levels of housing demand from net overseas migration and subnormal levels of supply with builders going out of business and stuff like that yeah and what how this boom ends is migration comes back to normal levels so demand eases off a bit and supply comes online as yep. we have more builders and they're building more homes and more land starts coming through like that's that's a yeah. big thing as well so it's, I think it's, it's almost economics 101 supply yeah. and demand I know. that's the thing you're looking at at the moment just going literally supply and demand at the moment like it's exactly the sort of cycle you want to be walking into so which seems crazy because of the just run that we've had in the last even the last 10 years but i think it's it's then relative of looking, okay, well, where, do you, where is the most potential in this, in this situation as well? Mm. So, Sam, for a lot of the community who are sitting listening to this thinking that it's, you know, dire straits and, and property, that the dream of property is, is out the window and in the next five years we're, we're looking at even worse situations to enter. Your job is, uh, is actually to help people find good investments, not from the owner-occupied point of view. So, you know, it is an alternative for people who want to get into the property market. Owner-occupied is out of the question, but you want to take part in this boom that is, that is uh, you know, about to eventuate or we're in the midst of. 
A, what should we be doing to prepare ourselves or take advantage of, of this opportunity? And then B, what are some areas that you're seeing outside of Sydney um, where you know this, this next cycle is really going to, to take effect? Yeah, mate, it's a great question. So I think uh, one of the biggest things is a lot of people, and we had this conversation last time when we were on, um, a lot of people are fixated on buying in their own backyard and, well, I want to buy in Sydney or Melbourne or whatever. Um, they're very unaffordable for most people now. So like if people are thinking, yeah, in dire straits, what am I going to do? How do, we, how do we make this thing work? If you look further afield and start looking like that last podcast we did on rent vesting, right? And and what is available from that perspective, you can build a significant portfolio outside of a primary residence and rent vest and then go down that avenue if that's where you have to go down. Or if you're in your primary residence now and you and you can still go down that avenue and still do that, you don't need to be going, as we laughed about at the start, buying one, $2 million properties as investments. There's plenty of different price points and the market and the price points and those are they're all relevant to the local you know economy and location that they are there as well and, and income levels of those of those areas so what i'd be saying i guess kind of firstly if we were to look at like areas or where we could potentially take advantage of like i was saying before your smaller capitals are, are very much under fire now as well um being you know your, your brisbane your adelaide your perth huge amount of infrastructure projects a lot of affordability um great price point for housing and good yields on them as well with, as we said, super tight vacancy rates because there's just so much demand for rentals at the moment. So there's some kind of great areas, you know, that we could be looking in. And then if you look further afield, you drill down to some really good regional hubs, regional locations as well. There's probably about another half a dozen of those that are showing some real, real promise to also benefit from this uptick and this boom as well. Um, but yeah, essentially, man, like I wouldn't be fixating on, um, you know, I can't do anything or be super, you know, upset and cut about the way that this is happening. There's always somewhere to put your money in. There's always somewhere to make money in property because there's always somewhere with an extra external influence that can drive a market but you don't have to think about yeah a million dollar plus markets whether you're whether you're low income and you're, you're just trying to start out and you're buying to a three hundred thousand dollar market or you've got a bit more and you're looking at four five six hundred thousand dollar with a good yield good return and you're positioned for very good capital growth they're very good markets to start in and if people rewind 10 years ago to sydney there were a lot of markets in Sydney 10 years ago that were three, four, five hundred thousand dollar markets, which is crazy to think about, but they were there. And but fast forward now, they're probably close to they're probably million dollar markets or more. But it's always relative. So like in 10 years we will we be looking back and Sydney's at the bottom of its cycle about to start another big run. But we look back now on the smaller capitals I just spoke about and all their areas now that with, you know, four, five hundred thousand dollars and now eight hundred a million dollar markets. And that's where you've got to think about this thing. It's it's looking further afield, thinking outside your backyard and just looking at where the opportunities are. And that's obviously what we help a lot of clients with. We pick apart um, you know, where are the right locations to invest in, where's gonna benefit the most from say this next coming boom. Um, and then yeah, really help the clients position themselves in those markets and then strategize well, how do we then pull equity out of that deal roll on to the next one and keep building you know the portfolio from there as well so there's always opportunity you don't think in dire straits always opportunity you've got something and you're, and you're willing to have a go there's there's definitely some good some yeah some good opportunities out there to get amongst it yeah. nice yeah well sam love it i think that's a good note to end it on there's always opportunity uh, as much as people might be lamenting uh, what the property market uh, is if they're trying to get in uh, they can look a bit further afield and see uh, where the opportunity is. Uh, if people want to hear more um, from Sam, the your podcast is Scouting Australia That's podcast. Yep, uh, and they can hit you up at uh, the Australian Property Scout website as well. Yeah. Um, so plenty more content from Sam. Um, <laughs> but I think that's we'll leave it there. Um, Perfect, boys. Until next time. Thank you very much. Appreciate having me Thanks, on Sam. as always. 
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have physicians in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.